This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good evening, it's Lucy Newberger here for the Tuesday Twilight Show. I'm back! And this evening we are talking about handwriting. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody. It is lovely to be back with you on Tuesday evening, back with the Twilight Show, back to it. Uh, It feels a little bit strange to have had a week off, a little bit sort of discombobulating, but we're back to it, we're back with it, with a very packed show this evening. Um, I'm going to be, well, there's so much to get through. Um, Now, interestingly enough, when I approached the idea of handwriting, uh, a lot of my fellow uh, edgy Twitter friends said, well, Lucy, that's not particularly interesting I mean what 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 are you what are you going to talk about and I said no no no, bear bear with me um I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised and I've got a cracking interview with the wonderful Kate Gladstone who I will let speak for herself she doesn't need any introduction so when we come to listening to her interview which I recorded earlier in the week um you will you're just going to enjoy it immensely she is a brilliant character you're going to have to to go with her a bit. She uh, she's very much like me in that she uh, is a very good talker and can tell a brilliant story. Um, and then my second guest this evening is going to be Catherine Berkaseth or Bickersteth, I believe her surname is. Sorry, Catherine, I know you're in the studio. If I murdered your surname, I'm incredibly sorry. Who's also going to chat to us a bit later after we've heard Kate's interview. So very much looking forward to hearing from both of them. So before we launch into all of that, I'm just going to do my usual weekly update, uh, which will be short and sweet because I want to to get down to business this evening. Um, So the reason I wasn't with you last week is because my parents were here visiting me. I hadn't seen them since I packed up and left for Lisbon a year ago. So that was incredibly exciting. I also think it was quite reassuring for my poor mum who still, I mean, I'm 32 years old and she still does not trust me to do anything by myself, despite the fact I've travelled extensively, I've done all sorts of things, and yet living in Portugal seems to be a a, a worry for her. But she saw my apartment, she knows that I'm happy, that I'm great, and so that was wonderful. Uh, we went into Lisbon as well, did some exploring, went up to the castle and looked over the whole city, which is great. And if ever you have a chance to visit Lisbon, I thoroughly recommend you do that. We also ate some fantastic food. The seafood here is, is incredibly good. Um, I'm not going to do a travel advertisement for you. Basically, now that things are opening up again, if you have a chance to, to get out here, do it. Uh, so it was fantastic to see them and hopefully, fingers crossed, I'll be able to get home at Christmas and have the family Christmas that I actually missed out on last year. 
So that was great. Um, weekend just gone. I popped down to the Algarve. I mean, sounds like all I do is swan around, really, doesn't it? But I do work as well, I promise. Um, so I went, <laughs> I went and visited a, a dear old friend of mine down in the Algarve which was fantastic. Again, lots of food and merriment, uh, which was great. We caught up on all the, all the life's goings on over the last couple of years. And he also has a lovely little three-year-old son who I hadn't seen since he was very small. So it's just a, a lovely time all around, really. Um, what else? Today has actually been a public holiday in Portugal, which is they're very strange. They kind of pop up all over the place, usually midweek. So it kind of throws everything off. So the children haven't actually been in school since Friday because we had uh, an inset on the Monday. So I imagine coming in on Wednesday after a long weekend, it's going to be interesting what we can get out of them. But we will, we will press on as always. I spent the day going on a 17 kilometer walk with some colleagues of mine which was very, very refreshing and very enjoyable. But now my legs are very stiff and I'm not sure I'm going to be able to get up off my sofa after the end of this show. So we'll, we'll see how we go. Um, another thing, I did a, a bit of a mad thing last night in that I wasn't planning to do anything at half term. Um, and then I realised that my absolute favourite comedian, Eliza Schlesinger, is doing a European tour, and that her London dates happen to coincide with my half term. So I rang my best friend, who I know does listen to the show. And uh, she and I said to her, you know, do you fancy going to not only see Eliza, but meet her as well. And we agreed that this was a brilliant idea. Uh, because our respective birthdays are December and January, Christmas, Hanukkah, everything in between, we just decided that we were going to celebrate the lot celebrate life. So I'm going to be doing that at half term. And I am incredibly excited. Um, finally, final bit of intro before I get going with this evening's proper proceedings is, as always, I'm still plugging away with my What's For Dinner feature. I'm not giving up on it. I really do hope that people are going to get involved this evening. I know that there are some of you who always, always do, and I really appreciate you for that. For me this evening, it is going to be some very spicy tomato soup that I made yesterday because I felt a bit of a tickle in my throat. At the moment, it's it's all right, it's not not hurting too much, so I'm hoping that that this <laughs> that this evening's show is not gonna be the end of me, but we'll we'll see. I mean I, I I feel like I'm coming through loud and clear at the moment, so all is well. And funnily enough, actually the, the best friend has just texted me to say that she's finishing off the lentil soup that she made last night. So thank you, Eleni, for always at least being one person who contributes to this what's for dinner feature. So please do let me know what you are having if you are in the studio or if you are listening or wherever you're listening from. Um, oh, the other one more thing I do want to say is that um, I have been listening to various shows this week, as always, but the one that has stuck out for me was Tabitha's show, which was all about um, basically the, the children uh, throughout literature that you would hate to, to have in class. And uh, it's just an absolutely brilliant list. And I can't remember when it was on and I forgot to write it down, but I'm sure that someone will pop in and tell me when when 
that show was broadcast. But if you need a giggle, it's it's very, very funny. So do do go and have a listen. And maybe you'll agree with uh, who you would dislike to have in class. Maybe not. But for me, it was it was Wimpy Kid because just, oh, I just I have an aversion to him. I just it's just a bit too drippy for me, really. So, uh, yeah. So go and have a listen. Um, oh, we have some some people popping in. Uh, oh, my friend Sarah, who I teach a trained with, she said her son Luca is poorly today, so it's chuck in the oven from pizza. Chuck in the oven pizza, not my favourite, but at least we're fed. Well, sometimes needs must, my friend. Um, and Lawrence, a long term listener and someone who's actually going to be on this show with me at some point uh, in a couple of weeks' time, so that's going to be very exciting. But I'll say more about that another time. He's having pork and veg for dinner and bread and butter pudding. Well, I am mightily jealous so that sounds fantastic right onwards so this evening's show is about handwriting now there are many many reasons I wanted to talk about this primarily or at least in part because of my own struggles with with handwriting I'm someone who was infamous at school all the way through my school career for having shocking handwriting to the point where uh, my GCSE history teacher said to me, I always knew it was your work, Lucy, because your handwriting was incredibly distinctive. Um, so, yes, I, uh, um, I then surprised her actually by getting an A at GCSE, despite the fact she predicted me a B. But that's not a sore subject or, or anything like that. Um, but... Even as a teacher now, I've still struggled with my my board writing. I'm very conscious of the fact that my it's not beautifully cursive. Uh, all my letters are not joined. And my stance on handwriting has always been, certainly from a children's point of view, as long as it's legible, I'm not too worried about loops and swirls and all the rest of it. And someone who has made this their their life's work is is a, someone I spoke to earlier in the week, Kate Gladstone, who actually has just uh, entered the conversation. And she apparently is having coconut water and reputedly good for you organic trail mix. But I believe that because Kate is in the US, it's slightly earlier in the day yes she's five hours behind earlier in the day for for Kate so it's not quite dinner time there yet so what I'm going to do first of all is I'm just going to play the news and then afterwards I will launch straight into my interview with Kate Gladstone because I believe it doesn't need any more intro from me it speaks for itself uh, so we will go from there This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. This is your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. The Scotsman reports that Scotland is to benefit from one of the strongest networks for the delivery of financial education to young people, with approval now granted for Young Enterprise Scotland to take on a wide-reaching venture helping school leavers to manage money. Evidence was submitted to the All-Party Parliamentary Group on Financial Education for Young People that more than half of UK teenagers have struggled with debt before their 17th birthday, 
and more than two-thirds of young people lack the confidence to plan their financial future. Youth Enterprise Scotland will take on the delivery of CIFIT's programmes to S6 pupils across 250 schools after the Stuart Ivory Financial Education Trust decided to pass on its expertise to an organisation with greater resources. Youth Enterprise Scotland Chief Executive Jeff Leask describes the tie-up as a game-changer. He said the CIFIT resources and depth of reach add significant value to our portfolio of resources. The prospect now exists to implement a new blended financial education model of delivery that ensures that financial educations are not delivered in isolation, but through a more holistic approach that achieves a greater impact in the long term. Wales is set to become the first UK nation to make the teaching of black, Asian and minority ethnic histories and experiences mandatory in the school curriculum. The new curriculum for Wales guidance is due to be signed off next month, but the announcement coincides with the start of Black History Month. The new curriculum is set to be introduced in September 2022 and includes six areas of learning. Education Minister Jeremy Miles said, It is vitally important that our education system equips our young people to understand and respect their own and each other's histories, cultures and traditions. Today's announcement will enrich the new curriculum and therefore teaching in Wales for years to come. The announcement was welcomed by trade unions. Mike Payne, GMB senior organiser said, it's excellent news that this part of Welsh history is finally being recognised and put on the curriculum. This has been your daily education news briefing. Good evening, you are back with me, Lucy Newberger, and this is Tuesday's Twilight Show. So without further ado now, I'm going to launch straight into my interview with Kate Gladstone. She's just entered into the chat and said um, that uh, I needed to just be a little bit careful with her surname, but she's, she's not too worried because apparently I make it sound so charming. So I appreciate that, Kate. Thank you. Right. Here we go. Well, good day to you all or good evening or night, depending where you are. My name is Kate Gladstone. I live in Albany, New York, United States, and I'm sometimes known as the handwriting repair woman because I help people to improve their handwriting. And this began as a rather long story as a result of my own efforts to improve my own handwriting. We have uh, several things to talk about today, one of which will be my book, Read Cursive Fast. Fantastic. Well, welcome, Kate. And it's uh, a privilege to have you uh, on my show on my show this evening. Um, so I suppose what I want to start with, I mean, you gave yourself a beautiful introduction there, but I just Thank want you, you. To, to delve a little bit more deeply into why handwriting and particularly children's handwriting is such a, a personal thing for you and what got you started on wanting to improve not only your own handwriting, but also the handwriting of, of 
the nation, and in your case, the US. Oh, or, or perhaps the world. Well, perhaps in the world my too. case, I was one of these people who basically as a child, and actually until I was 24, had very horrendous handwriting despite very thorough instruction at the schools I attended, despite great efforts, despite being kept in from recess to work extra on handwriting, despite being made to work extra at home as my parents were both teachers of English, despite, I must say, horrendous treatment by several teachers who thought it would be a grand educational idea to publicly call me subhuman and to invite the rest of the class to join in, which was the most pleasant assignment I think they'd ever had. At least they all loved it. It didn't help. And I was actually in graduate school studying to become a librarian before I could reliably write legibly or for that matter read cursive handwriting. Keep in mind, I'm in the USA where when we say we need cursive, we mean, well, relentlessly joined up and having handwriting changed that really are like nothing you see anywhere else in writing. And I could not make sense of them reliably or produce them reliably. And imagine going through your whole educational career and qualifying to get into graduate school, and you've done it all by, you know, guesswork and fakery and not really being sure what the assignments are, and perhaps in the teacher's handwriting, even if it's beautifully clear to everyone else, all you can make out is maybe an occasional lowercase a or uppercase b or something. And imagine going through your whole life and going through school on that basis. Well, even though I needed to improve my handwriting, and I've known this, I think, since I was a very small girl myself, nothing I had tried had worked, but the necessity was there. It hit bottom for me on a day when I was at home. I was studying, but I had been asked to take down phone messages for people who were going to be calling my parents for some kind of event. They were going to a party of some sort. Normally, I would have just let them go on the answering machine, but it was broken that day. This was the old kind that had a cassette tape that was always getting out of order. So I resigned myself to the laborious task of breaking from schoolwork every so often to write down Aunt Shirley called and she's coming, or, you know, Uncle Abe called and he's not coming, or, or that sort of thing. And I realized at some point, to my horror, that because I needed it to be legible for my parents when they returned, that what I'd been doing all day had been, although I was writing it down, I knew they couldn't read that because I could barely read what I wrote. So I'd been leaving on my electric typewriter, which was all we had then by way of any way to write that wasn't a pen or pencil. This was, you know, in the late 1980s. And I was your mid to late 1980s, I forget exactly. Well, it was my 24th year, so it would have been 1987. So, and I was, you know, laboriously scribbling down, you know, Aunt Shirley Cole or something and typing it on my electric typewriter and then destroying what I typed on my electric typewriter after I had laboriously sat down and taken five minutes to write Aunt Shirley Cole legibly. When I began after that, stealing time from my professional studies to become a librarian, 
was because I lived in New York City then, and that has some of the best libraries on earth. I was stealing time to go to the public library and various archives of the public library, which I had access to, of course, as a library student, and look up handwriting textbooks for as far back as there had been published handwriting textbooks, which was nearly 500 years at the time. It will be exactly 500 years next year, by the way. And literally following the whole history of those books, seeing what I could do, what worked for me, where things had gone wrong, and literally using the bits that worked for me and disregarding the rest. Now, I like to say that I was my own first student, therefore, and my father, who had lifelong had similar problems, but noticeably less severe, he asked me for handwriting help when he saw my handwriting improve, so he was my second student. The students after that initially were doctors at hospitals. My father's suggestion had been that I offer to do for the doctors what I had done for myself because of all the patients who died from malpractice related to handwriting and uh, sometimes were indeed in legal uh, situations, shall we say. Now, of course, it's all different. Now, almost all the states in the USA have gone over to electronic prescriptions and electronic record keeping for doctors, but that was, you know, that was a science fiction dream at the time I started. So for many years, most of my clients were doctors and there were the occasional sprinkling of students facing exams and the like. Now, the doctor side of the business has basically dried up and I work with everyone from kindergarten students to people in their 20s or 30s or even older. Some of these are people whose handwriting has been affected by accident, injury, or sheer lack of practice. Some of them are people who simply never learned anything about handwriting because it was something that their school or their district or their state eventually skipped. Many of them were like me, tried very, very hard and had not had success. Many of them were like me in another way because I eventually found that I had a slew of neurological uh, disabilities which were not diagnosed until various times in my adulthood. Uh, most recently, for instance, I was diagnosed with an autism spectrum disorder at the age of 40. And by the way, my husband, 11 years older than I am, turned out to have it too. Well, no wonder we'd had so much in common. And no wonder he'd been <laughs> one of my students too. At some point, I had had to work on his handwriting because uh, during uh, our first year of marriage, he was an attorney and he often had to fly to other cities on business. He would leave me a phone number where he would be or he would call me back, but he often had to call me from hotels or public places because this was before everyone had cell phones. We were married in the early 90s. At one point, he left me a number to reach him and the number you know, when I dialed it, it turned out to be a movie theater, which was in fact closed, and I was speaking with the janitor, and I was very, very perplexed. It wasn't like my husband to leave a number that wasn't his, particularly the number of, you know, a movie theater. When he got back, I asked him, you know, whatever the number was, I said, you know, you left me this number to call you, and it was 215, you know, whatever. And I said, no, 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 235, and I said... Well, look at this piece of paper. Look, look at it yourself. That's the one. It said, well, it's meant to be a three. 
It is a straight line, of course, but it's meant to be a three. And I basically had to spend the rest of the evening convincing him that a three, you know, has got to have a little detail work. It's got to have a couple of bumps in it someplace. Or how will we know it's a three? And, and I was actually not surprised at this because his handwriting had always come to my had already come to my attention. I had already been the handwriting repair woman and working professionally at the time of our marriage, which is why I retained my maiden name to make it that much easier for me to be found in those days before the internet. In okay. fact, on our honeymoon, which had been in the UK, I had specially specially arranged with Andy that when we were in Scotland, we were going to leave our bus route for the day, even though that meant leaving some things I particularly hoped to see, and go to visit one of my colleagues who was then living in Kirkcaldy, Fife, Scotland, the late lamented Tom Gordy. And Tom Gordy had given us a lovely, lovely British high tea. Well, we'd known this was coming, and... <laughs> What Andy hadn't known was coming was I had actually hinted to Mr. Gordy that he might want to see if he could do something about my poor dear husband's handwriting. And remember, this was on honeymoon. This was before the whole incident with the movie theater. And I and I will tell you, Andy tried. Tom took Andy, you know, into his study, and I could hear some noises, and I could hear this Scottish accent going, Angela Stewart Haber, your writing violates all of the rules of writing. My forty was very, very embarrassed. Probably he was also embarrassed, like spent about half of her honeymoon going into stores and buying fountain pens and cartridges because they were then much cheaper there than in the USA. Don't worry, let's just say, you know, it wasn't the only thing we did on our honeymoon, but I don't think he was expecting that. And I will tell you, he tried, but it took a while to get through to him. It just took a little while to get through, you know, that some of the things he thought were legible were not legible. I will tell you, eventually... He came around as my husband and my business manager. He understood that he had to at least be able to use what I'm selling. I won't say he has an elegant handwriting, but it's entirely readable and it's not too slow. And this was someone who I have to say was on the grounds of handwriting and other reasons, at one point adjudged intellectually deficient by a doctor, an insurance doctor at the place where he worked, which was all the strange because the place where he worked was the New York State, you know, tax department, tax and finance department, and he has a doctorate of law, which the doctor was aware of before the doctor, you know, rated him as intellectually subnormal. Now, I do not know how many intellectually disabled, deficient, subnormal, whatever it may be called, people these days are walking around with the doctorate of law in their back pocket. And, I mean, to me, it sounded like a horrible, horrible joke that people, you know, would be so bigoted, I have to say, in the matter of handwriting. But it was no surprise to me, after all, if I'd been called subhuman, you know, mm. well, at least no one was calling Andy subhuman. They were saying, they were saying that he was mentally, you know, not where he should be, which which is a total lie. I mean, you have to realize that this person at a workplace whose physician called him, you know, intellectually deficient. This was the person 
that they went to when they needed someone to quote the law because it was quicker to go to Andy, who'd read all the books, than to go off to the section of the building that had the law library and, and you know, look it up at the time. I don't know about now because he's been retired for, he's been retired for a while, but at the time, you know, he knew it and he can still quote you a lot of things. So, you know, so this was not... And, you know, this was not anyone who is stupid. So I have to tell you, I cry a little inside when I run into teachers who quite openly say, well, when I'm grading a student's written work, I don't worry too much about their points. I figure the smarter ones are the ones with the clearest handwriting, so I'll give them the better grades. And, you know, oh. they get away with this. They're not supposed to, but they do. And just on that, so, on that subject, I mean... We as teachers, I mean, I teach so primary or elementary, um, and I've so oh I God. so oh I've talked God. for. <laughs> I'm sorry, I forgot that it's work clock, and I've got Alexa, and I programmed her to play the news, but fortunately she can be caused. <laughs> and fortunately, this is pre-recorded, so you can. You heard it go, huh? Very well. You can go back, repeat yourself, and cut off the, cut out the little bad bit. Well, let's see how. I mean, I don't know how good my editing skills are, but we'll we'll see. Where also it adds to it the charm. It can be. It can be done. I mean, I've done it on, you know, just on iPhones. It's not hard. And if you think it's hard, get one of the twelve-year-olds you've interviewed in your art, in your presentations on computers and all that. <laughs> well, I mean, my my. I know you must have made some. Well, yes. I mean, my IT skills and computer skills. I mean, that's a whole other conversation. Are all right, but uh, as you say, I, I, mean, tell you, I don't know a lot. When I ask you to do something, I just go onto Google or Bing and look up how to edit an iPhone. Video, well, that's it. And I'll go and follow the steps. <laughs> and YouTube can teach you anything. It's true. Yes, um, especially if you have a flat screen TV that lets you watch YouTube on the TV, which I do. <laughs> so, I mean, I've taught sort of a, a, a range of ages. I've taught seven-year-olds all the way through up to my, my age group now. So it's not a massive range. But I've had occasions where I've had to almost psych myself up to, to read children's to read children's work. Some of it looks like a ransom note. Some of it looks like, and I do relate to this because I, I was that, I was that kid. And even as a teacher, I'm standing there writing on the board. It's not beautiful cursive, even now, age 32. But I just wonder, how did we get into this obsession with handwriting? And do you think that, you know, children being able to write legibly, given, you know, the technology we've just referenced and all the rest of it, is it still something that we should be, really paying attention to well how we got into this is probably a little different in the uk mm. for instance than in the usa in the usa where i live a great part of it is the wish to be able to read our 18th century founding documents written in 18th century cursive and preserved at places like the national archive where they can be visited and there are people at certain parts of the political spectrum who are quite afraid that one day no one will be able to read the original document and whoever is in charge of things could go onto the internet or reprint books and change it to make it say what they like. <laughs> right. Don't, and people are really afraid that this will happen, especially because people think of these founding documents as our national relics. You know, we don't have, you know, crown jewels like the UK. We don't have some of these other things 
if you go to the USA, you know, there are certain cities where you go and there are actually documents from the history of our country, which are actually, I have to say, presented in their own little shrines. There's a building you go into and there's a light falling down. And of course, it's carefully filtered so the document won't fade. And you would think that you were in some kind of house of worship. Hello. Who was that? Sorry, it was just a battery warning. So, <laughs> so a little photograph on this. Oh, good heavens. I hope you have a way to plug in. I do. And, of course, we, uh, you know, of course, we have all the other reasons that people want to look at old documents. In other words, what if someone writes you a memo at work and you cannot read it? Let's say an elderly person, an employer, or perhaps a professor, and you're an intern. Let's say you come into work and there's a little scribbled note on your computer. You disregard it as just a scribble because, oh, I can't read cursive. And it turns out that this was a note to you please don't turn on your computer today because it is going through the whole system and if you turn it on you'll blow everything up and of course you turn it on because you think it's just a random bit of scribble and you'll and you say oh it's something from my boss i'll ask her what you know what this was later or suppose one day you find letters in your attic and they're letters that your grandmother wrote to your grandfather when he was all fighting in world war ii would you would you want to read those letters yourself or would you rather face the prospect of taking them to some stranger, a researcher at a library, museum or historical society, having the researcher read them when you don't know what might be in there? <laughs> you, you really don't know what I mean. And whatever it is, it, it might be very personal indeed. And imagine that the first person who read such a thing in 70 or 80 years was not you, but you know, was some stranger whom you had to pay to do it. I would also say that over and above the issue of poor handwriting, you know, and I will get to the issue of reading handwriting, which is a bit of a separate issue. But if we think that computers have, have taken all the handwriting away, we have to wonder, why are there all these people on Twitter who show their handwriting and ask for help with it? Or show it off if they think it's beautiful? Or are told in no uncertain terms if it's very far from beautiful? Why do we see this on Twitter, Facebook, and other social media? Why are so many of the new apps that come out for iOS, iPadOS, Android, and every other platform, things like how to write by hand, write a handwritten text. In fact, the Apple iOS and iPadOS now actually have built in a feature where you can write by hand on the screen and send it instead of a text through text messages. And that feature is there because people demanded it. They did not formally have it and they put it in, you know, a few system upgrades ago. Why are so many of the... And why are so many of the note-taking pro programs on all of these devices programs that let you write by hand yeah. that will preserve your handwriting either as a snapshot or you can hit a button and get it transformed into text, but of course it has to be legible. Why are there so many allow you on your phone or your tablet to make fonts out of your own handwriting? for which you have to have the handwriting and presumably you want it not to look horrible when you've got the font all done. Now keep in mind how many people who will tell you, oh, I never write, that's like so 1970s. They're probably sitting there with their font program to make their cute font for the cute little text and writing the letter A over and over and over and over again until they get it right, you know. 
And why are there so many people in Twitter, in social media and elsewhere? I get so many requests like this who say, I saw this thing in cursive and I need to know what it says. It could be a note from their employer. Sometimes it's a scribbled note on the shop door explaining that, you know, due to plumbing issues, we won't be open Saturday or due to coronavirus, this restaurant is closed for the duration. But people have shown me and shown others on Twitter all sorts of things. If you go into Twitter and do a search like read cursive, you'll see people showing everything from, you know, their grandmother's love letters to something that the cable TV repairman left on the door when he, you know, had to change his plans. You'll see, you will see all kinds of things. So I don't think that handwriting is dead. There is a very human impulse to pick up a pointed stick and do something with it and make a mark or to even just pick up your finger and make a mark of that, which is much, much older than any human impulse to press buttons and see what happens. Only you were saying. No, just to warn, we've got 10 minutes on this Zoom call, but we can always log back in again. Yeah, so 10 minutes, definitely. So I would say, one, we have this issue. Number two, in the United States and some other places, we unfortunately have the notion that cursive has got to mean 100% joined up with, you know, bizarre letter forms that, mm -hmm. that are horribly ornate. When there are so many resources out there, as I believe, I believe I've sent you a list of resources yeah. which you could share for various sorts of modernized Italian, which might sound like, oh gosh, why are you going back to the Renaissance 500 years ago? Well, that's where my legible handwriting journey began. And amazingly, Italic handwriting is the style that fits with what research knows because research into how the fastest and most legible handwriters actually do it has shown that they generally have print-like forms and they don't join all the letter. They make only the easiest of joins within the letters. And I have a lot of fun showing this to people I know who are basically cursive worshipers as most devotees of handwriting in the United States tend to, oh, and it must have lead in strokes and it must join up everything or it's not, you know, proper handwriting and isn't even anything that has got a name well i'd like to go to these people and show them the research show them styles that fit the research show them that these are actually older than our contemporary styles of cursive and i really love to look at their own handwriting and point out where they're breaking some of their own rules <laughs> in other words someone who, who's willing to swear on a thousand bibles that oh, I would never pick up my pen within a word, and I certainly don't let my students do the same, and certainly writes nasty notes on her returned assignments to students who did so. In other words, Annie, remember we are big boys and girls now, and we join all our letters and use cursive capitals always, don't we? And then I will pull out some of that teacher's writing, and I'll say, well, let's look at it under the magnifying glass, a real magnifying glass of the one we've got on our phones since I work remotely these days, shall we? <laughs> and I will go through it, you know, with a little red marker or the electronic equivalent, and I'll say, what ho, your name has got a letter P followed by a letter A, and oh, goodness gracious, you didn't join them, and you are the same teacher who just made fun of a child for not joining those two letters in the word paper. Now, can you please explain yourself, miss? <laughs> I will tell you, in, in some ways, my life is a schoolgirl's revenge fantasy come true. <laughs> and, of course, I don't is, blame you. now I was talking about my own handwriting journey as it was. And part of that journey was 
I became able to read cursive by following the progression of handwriting from 500 years ago, Renaissance Italic, to how it had changed step by step and the fact that some features had not changed. For instance, I have been perplexed, as many people are, although possibly perhaps not as long as I was, by the fact that, well, when you write an N in printing, it has one bump and an M in printing has two bumps. But then when you've got an N in cursive, that has two bumps, you know, and you know, an N in printing has one bump, an M in printing has two bumps, but an N in cursive has two bumps, and an M in cursive has three bumps. And if you say it without having any context, it almost sounds like a Monty Python routine. <laughs> well, the reason that this is so confusing for me and for others, and it's one of the questions I'm most often asked by those who are struggling with cursive, well, and it's one of the questions I'm most often asked by someone who's struggling with cursive, so that we can trim a little bit, is that you don't want to count the bumps, you want to count the downstrokes. And N in cursive or in printing has two downstrokes, whichever it is. And M has got three, whether it's in cursive or printing. And an R, for that matter, has got one. And if you know that, and you don't worry about counting the bumps, and you're aware that the beginning of the bump is just a sort of wind-up to the next. And I have to tell you, those wind-ups, those lead-ins have horrendous consequences, but that would be another issue. I know your <laughs> Ministry of Education has made some pronouncement on that, which is all for the good. You know, I, I think that if you show people how cursive happened, then even the weirdest bits of it, which are far weirder in North America than in some other places, can make sense. And that, of course, is why I wrote the book Read Cursive Fast, which people are actually buying. It's much quicker to learn to read cursive than to write the same way, too. And unfortunately, one of the bastions of cursive, cursive worship in the USA has been, well, we've got all this cursive that we have to read sooner or later, and the only way to learn to read it, they'll tell you, is to write it and therefore learn to write it. And I like to point out, we read all sorts of things that we cannot write. Anytime you pick up a book or a newspaper, the lowercase a and g are forms that hardly anyone ever writes, but we have learned to read them. If you read a newspaper like the New York Times and you've seen its logo, you know, the people who wrote like that logo are either professional calligraphers or long dead. But we can read it. At some point, we learn to read it, even that crazy-looking S at some point. And likewise, we can learn to read cursive handwriting in the same way by looking at how it originated, what commonalities unite, let's say, a cursive M and a printed N even, a cursive capital Q or capital G to take some that are very bizarre in North America with their printed counterparts. That's longer. That has to be shown by a sort of evolutionary tree, but it oh. can be shown. And then you have some practice. You were saying. No, I was just going to ask you one more question because I'm just conscious of, of, of your time. Um, Thank you, but I can stay longer if needed. I just don't want you to get kicked off this call because it will kick us out in a few minutes. So. I understand. Um, and I just don't want you to be kicked out mid-sentence. But I, what I wanted to ask you is, in terms of, sort of teacher responsibility and teacher training and things like that, because it's not something that when I trained to teach, which was you know, only about six years ago, 
it it just wasn't a thing. It was assumed that actually you are a teacher, therefore you can write beautifully uh, on a board. But then well, also in terms of teaching children yeah. handwriting, like, what, what teach, yes. where's yeah. our responsibility so, there? What do you teachers feel? Do, well, one thing they have to learn to write, you cannot teach what you do not know. Mm. You know, we can, you know, if we taught math the way we teach handwriting, we would be assuming that anyone can be a math teacher who had survived as far as multiplication and division. And we would have, I think, even a worse situation than we have today. I think at a minimum, teachers need to be able to write legibly. They need to be able to demonstrate it to their students. They may need to be able to give some choices. In other words, to show that there's more than one way of being right about certain letters. So to some extent, you have a choice. I might write my lowercase g a bit different from yours, but that doesn't mean I can't give both versions as a choice and they can both be right. I would also say it's very important for teachers to be able to demonstrate at least minimally with the opposite hand because for anywhere from 10 to 15%, depending whose statistics you trust, of our students are left-handed. We are intelligent and educated enough, most of us nowadays, to know that you can't simply tell someone to change to being right-handed because it's convenient for everyone. I mean, I still hear of such cases. I still get people really? misguidedly asking my advice how to do it. And let's just say I have a certain very stern letter that I send back to them. <laughs> and you may have to demonstrate, even if, you, even if it's a bit shaky with your other hand or if you cannot do this, Get someone who can get a teacher's aid or, you know, perhaps make a film strip of someone you need to be you need to be able to do this. Also, you need to stop equating handwriting with intelligence. You need to stop equating reading a style with writing that way, too. If we could only read what we had written, then the unfortunate people who were born with certain disabilities would never be able to read at all. Because some of them honestly cannot write, even though many of them can, surprisingly, write by hand or by whatever they've got. And if we could only read what we've learned to write, well, we'd have to learn to read and write all over again every time someone invented a weird-looking new font. And I have never seen that happen. So I would say, fortunately, learning to crack the code of cursive, any cursive you might see, really takes only an hour or two, which is why I wrote my book to help people do it. Read Cursive Fast, available from nationalautismresources.com. Okay going to say i'm so sorry kate we got cut off there so um that's the the, the problem it's with all Zoom. right you can go over and splice just grab the nearest 12 year old and they will help you yes well i mean to be honest 10 year old eight year olds they're all they're all good with it but just um where, where were we at sorry i've completely lost my train of thought we were talking about read cursive fast and the Lovely. fact that writing does not have to be the only route to reading and for some people it might be a very unreliable route if you have dyspraxia one of many conditions that i actually have and i'm not alone daniel radcliffe of harry potter fame is another one Ooh. well if you have dyspraxia and if you're told well you're meant to go and acquire cursive and learn to pick up how to read it by writing it you may not be writing it reliably enough for the writing channel to reading it to kick in you will need other ways and actually those other ways might be quicker and might benefit anyone alone or in combination with 
other sorts of practice. For instance, one whole section of Read Cursive Fast is what I call cursive stories. And what a cursive story is, is simply a story whose successive sentences are in different type fonts, beginning with a very print-like type font and adding more and more features of more and more elaborate and more and more joined, more and more joined up types of cursive until by the end of the story, you are reading very elaborate cursive indeed. But you've gone into cursive slowly rather than being just thrown in. You know, the way that we normally are, at least in the United States, you come back to school one day and, you know, they changed the alphabet over the weekend while you were asleep, you know, rather than throw people in the deep end of the Olympic sized swimming pool. Why not have the sort of swimming pool where you start in by tiptoeing where the water is a few centimeters deep and you go a little further out, a little further out, and then gradually you're floating and then gradually your feet are entirely off the bottom and you're able to swim. You know, why can't we do that, which is the way that our cursive styles of handwriting that we have today happened in any case, gradually? Why did it have to be the equivalent of you or me coming back to work and finding out that overnight, well, the boss has now changed the uh, keyboards and everything to type in Russian or to type in Arabic or to type in Hebrew or something like that. You know, why do we have to do this to children, which we would never do to ourselves? You know, if I had to go and learn to work in Russia, okay, I studied Russian in college, but we had lessons. Even as far back as the alphabet went, they actually taught us and helped us to see similarities and differences between a letter in our familiar alphabet and the equivalent in this new language we were learning. You know, but it, what? But when it comes to children, we do things to children that if we did them to adults in the workplace, the adults would quit immediately. Hmm. And, you know, children cannot quit and cannot be sacked, but... You know, we don't have to, we don't have to treat them that way. We, we should treat, we should treat children as human beings. And I think that being humane when it comes to handwriting instruction is a huge part of that. Make sure we have the skills, but don't, don't unite the skills with horrendous treatment, which I think was being done when I was a kid and is still being done in play in many places where people teach handwriting at all. Okay, will that do as a finish? Well, no, that's that's absolutely uh, beautiful, Kate. And thank you, you know, so thank much you. for all of this. And I, I feel like I could talk to you for hours, and I feel like I might have to get you back oh, at a later date. I'm willing to do this, you know. I have a friend in the States who has a talk show on YouTube, and the last Friday of every month, usually it's the last Friday, sometimes it's been different, is basically the handwriting show, and that's where I talk, actually. And I have actually talked on different handwriting topics. If handwriting is a major theme for your audience, I would be happy to come and be a guest speaker on your show, you know, basically oh, fabulous. whenever you want. And I'm sure some of the other hosts will want to leap onto, onto this as, as well. But just to, Certainly, to... I would talk with you or with anyone... <laughs> You know, as a guest, as a guest speaker, you know, I don't know if I'm quite equipped to be a full-time speaker for your group for teachers talk. That would be a huge commitment. Oh, gosh, no. But I'm happy to be a. I'm happy to be a guest speaker and see how it goes from there. Well, we could get you on as well. We'll 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 see because there are lots of topics that people want to cover. But we'd certainly love to have you. I certainly would love to have you back in the future. But just to to really round up, where can people find you on social media, um, and where can they buy the book as well? Well, the I have several 
Twitter account. I have two Twitter accounts and several Facebook accounts. So the easiest way, since I'm trying to, of course, flog my book, <laughs> is to go to the Twitter account that I established for my book, which is called Fast underscore Read. Think of the words fast and read with a line between them. I have another one under my own name, Kate Gladstone, which does not have a line between it. On Facebook, I have three social media accounts. I have Read Cursive Fast. I have Handwriting Repair slash Handwriting That Works, which is for my business generally. And I have Kate Gladstone, which is a mixture of some business and some personal. So you can search those names. Now, in terms of finding my book, Although it's on Amazon, and you can search the name of the book and my name on Amazon, it's a bit cheaper if you go directly to the publisher, who would prefer that you go, of course, directly through her. And my publisher is nationalautismresources.com. And uh, if you go there, you can search the title of my book and it will come up. And by the way, my publisher, the publishing company is owned by a woman who is also dyslexic. And the reason she bought my book was that she wasn't able to read cursive until she was age 51 and read the first draft of my book. And then she could read cursive. And she Fabulous. literally went and spent several days just reading everything that was in cursive, everything from little notes that had been sent her at work to, you know, Declaration of Independence. So after that, you know, she had to publish. Well, brilliant. Well, Kate, thank you so much. I'm sure I'm going to continue thank chatting you. to you for a few minutes once I stop uh, recording, but uh, you have been an absolute well. star, so thank you. The incredible and wonderful Kate Gladstone there, or Gladstone, I should say, uh, talking to me about her, her life's journey through handwriting and where it has led her to today. Uh, so plenty to think about and to talk about there. What I'm going to do now is we're going to have a short break and then I'm hoping that Catherine, who is already in the studio, is going to call in and we're going to uh, get her to talk about her thoughts on handwriting and her experience uh, in school with children and, and, and their handwriting. So Let's take a short break and we will be back with you in a moment. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Hello everyone and welcome to the History Hotline, the hottest line for all things black history and beyond. I'm your host, Diana Lynn Cook, making space for honest conversations about black British, Caribbean and African history. Here to teach you all the things left out of your school books. Make sure you subscribe to the History Hotline on all good podcast platforms. Follow us on social media at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter to find out about new upcoming episodes. Do you struggle with people pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not 
inspire, challenge and empower your team through the MALCPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the Assertive Leadership and the Emotionally Intelligent Leader courses. All MALCPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com. You're back with me, Lisa Neuberger, and this is the Tuesday Twilight Show. I'm now joined by another guest, Catherine Bickerstess. Sorry, I'm sure I've murdered her name more than once on this show, so I'm really sorry, Catherine, and I'm sure you'll correct me in a moment. Um, and Catherine is uh, should be live with me now. Hello, Catherine. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Hello. Oh, wonderful. Lovely of you to join us this evening. Um, before we go any further, I would like you to do a better job of introducing yourself than I have and your current role in education, please. Um, yes, uh, that was a fantastic interview, by the way. Fantastic. <laughs> you, were chatting along as, yeah, you were chatting along as, as, as well, and I could see that you agreed with some points, which yeah. I'm sure we will touch on in a moment. Yes. Um, so I've been teaching for about 22 plus years in the UK mostly. Um, my most recent job was acting head teacher in a primary school in England. And currently I've taken a step back from that and I'm now working on more freelance work, working with um, initial teacher training and subject specialist work. And so that's why I'm now. I've taught across a range of ages. Originally, I was a secondary trained teacher. I have spent most of my career working with primary school age range, but that includes in an all through school. So it's quite a range of experiences as well as teaching adults, teaching English as a foreign language. Wonderful. Uh, so, so quite the career. I mean, I always feel that, uh, I, mean, I mean, I'm six years in and I still... <laughs> Uh, I'm in awe of people who have kind of had uh, much lengthier careers than than I have. Um, so I wanted to kind of talk to you this evening about your journey with handwriting in the classroom and where whereabouts you sit in terms of its importance, in terms of how how it should be taught, whether it should be part of teacher training. I mean, these are all things we can sort of unpick in the next, well, 30 minutes or so. Right. Well, I, when I went into teaching in schools, I went in as a secondary school teacher. So my original teaching experience in state schools in England didn't really involve handwriting because I was going in as a subject teacher and handwriting wasn't what you dealt with. You just, you know, you were t teaching your subject. When I then, um, which was quite soon after I qualified, I ended up going into, for various reasons, primary school teaching, suddenly handwriting was a thing. But more recent over the years it was i think the training is the key thing that i would say now i do think that teacher training needs to focus on handwriting more i had i have had no specific training at all about handwriting and I, it's been learning on the job it's been learning through the experiences of individual children which has led me to a point to question some of the things which i thought were fantastic for example pen licenses which i mentioned in a minute um, so once I was teaching primary school children and then liaising with EYFS colleagues, because I have taught a little bit in EYFS, but not much. I'm more key stage two and say year two. Um, the handwriting element, there are such a lot of disputes over whether you should have a lead in when you're doing cursive writing or not in early years. The government has recently changed and said, well, actually, it's about printing on signs and, and, and in early years. Basically, what I've come to the conclusion of now, the point I'm at now is Children teach, by the time you get a child, say, in key stage two, age seven, eight, it's too late. To un a lot of the muscle memory has been formed about the misholding of a pencil or pen. It's, it's, too, it's almost too late then. Um, and 
that that's why I think the training is so important for primary school teachers of the thing, the muscle, the muscle memory, the the holding of the pen or pencil, the writing equipment, the posture, because if they've come up and they haven't had that, they're then. I've come across so many children I've been teaching in Key Stage 2. They they don't have the right grip. They don't know about the posture. And you try and go back to basics with them, but it's almost too late. I also feel that, as um, was said in your previous interview, there's so much snobbery about handwriting in terms of the expectations of what it should look like and what cursive means. And the big thing is handwriting shouldn't be a punishment. Um, that was touched on a lot in your, lot in your interview about um, the idea that, you know, if they have to be all formed, it has to look neat, it has to look a certain way. I have, my experience has led me to believe that, yes, you need to have a legible handwriting. Children do need to be trained how to write. But, and some people would argue, well, actually, do we really need to write nowadays? Well, we do. Um, there's lots of occasions, whether it's a doctor's form you have to fill in, whether it's a, a job where you might you might just be handed a form at any time, as well as being able to read the handwriting. You do still need to write um, as well as read. It's not all about keyboards at the moment. So for me, it's can we please go back and go back to basics with handwriting and get teachers understanding it? Because I, in many different roles I've had, whether it's been as just a, te a class teacher or an English leader in a primary school or a head teacher, teachers want to know what, what do, they ask things like, what pen should they use? What colour? What year can they get a pen? When can they get a pen licence? Can I give them a pen licence? I have gone back on what I, years ago, I used to believe in pen licences. I think they're absolutely now an abomination. Um, I'm interested to hear your stance on this because you, you mentioned this to me on Twitter mm. and I um I sort of, I, I don't really know where I, where I sit on this. I mean, I, I, I've definitely used them. I've definitely been in schools mm. where, where they are used, but I'm yeah. very interested to hear your your next bit on this. So go ahead. Yes. Well, it's uh, uh, when I was head of English, um, leading English in the school, I thought, how great. We want to reward children for their efforts and everything. But what I've realised is some of the teachers interpret that as rather than seeing it as a reward, it's like, no, they have to have this amazingly high standard to be allowed to use a pen, which then means, well, who's setting that standard? And what I've also realised is for some children, writing is a big issue. And no. So we can reward children for their effort in work, but this idea you can't get a pen until you've achieved this mythical holy grail of handwriting is just ridiculous because what is that holy grail? Handwriting, as your previous speaker said, it should be legible. It should be, you know, um, something which they can do at speed if possible. But no, not every letter has to be joined. And with me, it's the idea of the pen. I do not understand where this idea has come from, that the pen is special to the degree that some teachers in primary school have been led to believe, or they believe anyway, that the pen is only allowed when you've reached a certain a, a sort of level of handwriting. For me, pencils are really difficult to use. In the average state primary classroom with 30 children, the whole thing of blunt pencils, pencils which don't make, I couldn't write neatly in, um, why a pen so special? Get the pens in use and in maths as well. Obviously, pencil for underlining and drawing shapes. Get the pens in use in key stage two. It's not such a big deal. Um, stop making it like it's a punishment. You haven't got one. Also, for those children who've got any physical reasons or, or special learning needs where they may find that really difficult, what, what situations are putting them in? They try and try and they just find it so hard. This is where training comes in. Now, I'm not an expert in it, but having talked to Verisenkos over the years, there are so many things that you can do, whether it's highlighting text for them, using 
simple things like the pen or pencil grip to help them hold the pens or pencil correctly, but not when it's too late for them when they've already formed this muscle memory, but at an earlier stage. There's so many things. I mean, you talked about your personal issues with handwriting. And yeah. when I went to primary school, which was way back in the 70s, um, I don't recall having issues with handwriting because possibly in the typical local primary school, my school's quite unique. And I, I know this from talking to people over the years. We were all taught in a sort of italicized handwriting, which I've never, ever heard of since. So it was quite a strange, spiky script. As I got, and you had to wait to get to, you were then given permission to go up to the head teacher up these little stairs to get your pen from him. <laughs> And I remember those stairs very well because it was also at the time when, um, thankfully not now, it could also be going up the stairs for a negative reason if you'd been badly behaved. But that pen was, you got it. And then if you wanted another one, an extra one, you could pay 5p for it. So that shows how old I am. But nowadays, the pen license, it's still kind of perpetuating that idea that this is a real privilege. How many times have I seen children in a classroom in year six? And some of them still have never written in pen. Why? I just don't understand why. And that really infuriates me. I do think teacher training needs to include um, handwriting. Um, I also think that um, it's this idea of what pupil work can go on display. I've seen many classes where I might be getting children to do a group discussion or something and you want someone to be a scribe. And when you listen to the children, they often say things like, oh, will you do it because you've got nice handwriting? That's not what being a scribe is about. Isn't it about hearing the ideas and being able to record the key ideas? And if you give a child the opportunity to do a poster about something and felt pens, some children whose handwriting may be deemed as being terrible, they produce the most wonderful um, pieces of work that includes um, letters because it's not associated with following a particular style. The other bugbear I've got is this idea that some schools um, still use these purple-fronted, often handwriting books for all children, regardless of where they are, for their handwriting lesson. The handwriting lesson is something which I have real issues with because um, I think that for handwriting, for those children, all children who I think at a young age, you do need to train them, help them for how to hold the pen or pencil correctly, et cetera, and form their letters because it does help with their reading. It helps children with their retention. Um, there's a memorization of spellings. There's a lot of positives in why we still do need to handwrite things. But it's that idea that the child this handwriting lesson, I've had different um, systems and in some schools, it's sort of like, well, we're going to put them according to how well they do the handwriting. Um, we're going to let them move up when they've done it a certain way. Um, there's real problems with this. Many children have got reasons why they do find it particularly difficult. I mean, there's studies which have shown that girls you know have uh, some girls not all but there's a proportion of girls you know who can find it easier than boys to actually kind of aesthetically use the pen or pencil the other thing is um we have lots of children from different cultures and backgrounds in eastern europe and i did work there for one year there are children and i quite recently taught a child from an eastern european country they have beautiful handwriting cursive but it's not if it's not forming the particular loops and joints that are in the particular system that your primary school uses they're then sort of condemned, like, oh, you're not doing it correctly. But if it's legible and you can read it, what's wrong with that? And I do think there needs to be a whole lot more um, awareness raised about handwriting. And, and what do we want them to do? It's got to be legible. It's got to be something they can read. And I just think there's a lot of sort of um, misconceptions around it. 
Oh, most definitely. There's just a few comments uh, that are coming through that I just uh, would like to sort of share with you and you can share your thoughts back. Um, George Bream has said, do people actually make a big deal out of what pen and pencil kids use? Um, I have a huge stash of various writing tools uh, and kids select what's best for them. I model that it's okay for writing not to be perfect, but we do need to be able to read it. I think every school varies um, and I think that's where the training is important because every school will have its own policy and I would like to think that it's become more open but the, the, um, the example you just said that's great but um, some schools are more rigid than others on what they can and can't do and I think really um, for me I used to have this big thought that biros are really they're really difficult for children to use. But then I've read some research which says actually for some children using a biro, they find the feel of it, the pressure of it is better than the normal average sort of semi-felt tip handwriting pen. So I think um, that's where, depending on what school you're in, that's what affects it. But I do feel that for secondary school teachers, for children to come up in year seven, and some of them are saying the expectation is suddenly use pen, and that some of them are like, well, I've never used pen before, it's a big issue. There shouldn't be any issues around handwriting. It should be you form your letters as legibly as you can. Cursive is the ideal that you can join some letters, and as was said in the previous interview, doesn't mean every single letter. I don't join every single letter. Um, but it's just going, I think for the primary school teachers, it's really there. They're the people who are getting children when they first start to go beyond mark making in the early years but it's all about basics such as the posture sitting at the table even basics like um you know are are you aware who your left-handed children are so that you don't put them sitting so they're going to have that problem of the old elbowing issue and so many times parents will say do you know you know they're, they're finding it difficult they're sitting next to someone such simple to it you just don't sit them so they're having that problem of the elbows next to a right-handed person <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Um, then there's another comment here that says, um, well, actually from Lawrence, who's a, a very good friend of the show, uh, I support students at secondary school as an LSA who are more comfortable writing in pencil. I don't challenge it because as long as they're confident mm -hmm. in expressing their point, does a pen license really matter? And he was saying no. Yeah, I think that when they go to secondary school, the issue is they come with the baggage of whatever they have been told or, or ingrained in them. And I think mm. if you've got a child who wants to write and they can write in pencil, then that's fine if that's the way they've come to the school. It's not um, it's not an essential. Obviously, um, that depends where they've come from. And I think that it's really hard for some children will have it in their head. They will think it's an issue. I'm telling my secondary school I haven't used pen before. I think it needs to go back to the primary schools to get away from this idea that pencil pen is a big sort of, um, it's almost like it's a rite of passage. You can use pen or you can't. Um, that's it. There's another comment here. We just don't use pens for writing in my primary. Get rid of all that pen license nonsense. So uh, slightly, slightly different opinion there. And then yeah. uh, what else have we got? Um, George has commented again to say, I hope I'm doing the right thing by saying to kids, I don't use writing as a learning tool, but when I do get them to write, it's to practice the skill. It's an interesting hmm. point there. I don't know what, what you I, make of that, Catherine. I kind of, if I've interpreted correctly, I would agree as in, when you have a separate handwriting lesson, it makes it seem that that's something separate. And the big problem is when then they go into their other lessons and they just see that as something separate, like in their maths books, they've got squares and they haven't got those weird sort of handwriting books with the various parallel lines and different colours. Um, and it kind of like, oh, that's not my handwriting lesson. And then you get teachers, I've heard teachers even the recent last couple of years, they say things like, I don't understand. They do really well in their handwriting class with that other teacher. But when they come to writing my lessons, it's like, yeah, because 
think of what paper we're using. And it just has to go back to basics. What paper are we using? What lines are we using? And so I think small, regular uses of writing, all the teachers in primary school, yeah, handwriting matters. Don't make it feel like it is a separate thing, like it's a, a music lesson. It, it's all part of what you do all the time. Oh, most definitely. And Kate, who was our previous interview interviewee, has said some people can write much better with pens than with anything else. Yeah. Forbidding pens to them is like forbidding eyeglasses to students who need them to see, the same as for any other tool. I absolutely agree with that. Absolutely. It shouldn't be something that's forbidden at all. Um, there are many children, I'm sure many teachers will will think of examples where they've had children who bring in writing they've done at home and it will be in multicoloured gel pens and all sorts of things. Um, I listened to something which was a talk for new teachers by by Dame Alice Peacock, which where she was talking about the fact that at a school she used to be head teacher at, there was a child who had all this writing they brought him and they knew there was going to be a writer in school and she hadn't seen any of this writing and it ended up with the book being published for them in the school and the writer came back and they did a book signing. You just need to not restrict it. Um, it has to be encouraged completely that writing, it's not a matter of um, like a driving licence. And that's what it's kind of in some schools it used to be. Hopefully not as much now. It, it's almost like that. Yeah, I mean, it definitely sort of seemed it's kind of a, a superior thing and I know and I mean just listening to you kind of unpick that and what what that means it's it's not something I I used to see it as a kind of a, an award like like any other but it's 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 not and I think that for some children and I'm just thinking about the children in my current class and I can think of ones that under this current system they're never going to see that pen in in primary school because if, if it's based just on their their style of writing it's not going to be deemed good enough in inverted commas to to warrant using a pen which actually seems mm. ridiculous to me yeah. now that I sort of think yeah. about it more um something we've touched on already which is uh, talking about handwriting and teachers and teacher training and we've both openly said that it wasn't part of our teacher training I mean I didn't train that that long ago but I don't remember anything about writing on the board the way uh, or well, certainly nothing about explicitly teaching handwriting or or what's okay and what's not so in if handwriting was to be introduced into teacher training and maybe it does exist in some courses already what what does that look like to you kind of a an ideal sort of teacher training scenario if you will I think it's bringing together some of the research. It has to be research-based about, because there's still some disputes in it, for example, about whether it can help dyslexic learners, about actual, the practic practicalities of it, going back to basics. So you've got a child who maybe hasn't written beforehand, isn't used to doing it. What are the basics of posture, holding the pen grip, and getting experts in? And a lot of, in schools, a lot of um, primary schools, it'll be, what scheme are we using? It's not about what scheme you're using. It's not about, oh, do we do a lead or not? get back to the basics. And I mean, I'm sure I wasn't primary school trained, so I didn't have that training. I'm sure now there are many courses where they do. But I would say even it'd be useful for secondary school um, staff to have an awareness of how some children, the reason their work may be difficult to read is because they do have issues and that links to the special needs. And that is a huge thing. I mean, my personal experience, um, I, at school, because we had this um, very traditional times, you know, we all used to do our handwriting. I think we all seem to have beautiful handwriting. But as I then went into my teenage years, I was told my handwriting was quite spiky and difficult to read. Um, and so then I, when I ended up teaching primary school, I really had to make a conscious effort on the board. I was aware I had to model 
writing that they could read. And when I first started doing that, I got a couple of people saying, what does that letter say? I'd look at it and I think, well, it's obvious to me, it's an A joined to a B or whatever. And that is through experience that I learned you need to really think about how you're using those letters. So I think a little bit of input on the teacher writing on the board. This is where, unfortunately, if a lot of schools are going for, it's all PowerPoints, et cetera, you won't have to write that much. But bottom line is, when all the internet goes down, as a teacher, I think you do need to have those skills to teach without those um, resources. So it's that practice. Just practice on a little mini whiteboard because the children are the ones who will tell you, Miss, what does that say? Or when they've written something in their book and it's spelt wrong, it's because they couldn't read your handwriting. Absolutely. And I do and I do worry about it. And it still gives me sort of a great level of anxiety because I, I get kind of very excited in lessons and suddenly it just oh, it takes on a completely different form because I'm trying to get it down or they're telling me something that we're going to put in a word bank or I'm modeling something in there. We're kind of doing it as a class and I'm trying to scribble it all down. And it just looks dreadful. And then I kind of step back and look at it and I think, well, I don't know what that says. So how on earth are you going to decipher what I've just scrawled on the board? Mm. So, But also, I mean, it even goes down to things like pen colour as well, which sort of, again, mm -hmm. never really occurred to me as a teacher. I mean, I try and sort of use my black pen as much as possible because mm. I know that the green that they cannot see. No, and that's something which is hopefully there's more awareness of that with all these marking codes of what colour pen you use. But um, even now... Um, you know, PowerPoints and everything, it's all like all colours, all shapes. And it's like, well, no, keep it simple. You need to have that that clear definition against the lighter background. And yeah, I won't talk about that more. That That's another thing about displays and what people are told about displays. All, <laughs> I, all I know is that my personal experience, I mean, I, um, and you were talking about teacher handwriting. The handwriting I can remember, of what, the only teacher's handwriting I can remember is a teacher who I had when I was in secondary school. You couldn't read it. It absolutely was, it, it, you couldn't read his handwriting. He was a very good teacher. His handwriting was indecipherable. It was like hieroglyphics. But I remember it to this day, and he was a very good teacher. So whatever he wrote, and he had a very um, detailed system of whether it was A minus minus or B plus minus, whatever. But I do remember his handwriting. I don't remember anyone else's handwriting. But I would say to teachers, um, you know, if you need help, some of the resources we mentioned tonight are really useful. And I do think that handwriting, it just I think we need to sort of get away from this snobbery about it. And as someone who's interested in history, was originally a history teacher as well, I think, um, and that was also said in the interview earlier on, it is important still to be able to write and read for all the work career reasons, but also deciphering um, artefacts in the past. And I think maybe introduce that a little bit, that, that's a, that's a way you can show children, well, you think your handwriting might be bad, show them some actual artefacts, which are documents signed by people in the 15th century, 16th century. You know, there's beautiful illuminated manuscripts, which you can see at the British Library, etc. You probably can't read them very well, but they look beautiful. That's not practical for everyday purposes. We're not aspiring to be like that. We need to be practical and legible. And, uh, and I'm someone who I've been told, oh, your handwriting is quite indecipherable. I know over the last 15 odd years, I don't write as much as I used to at all. And it seems harder to write actually legibly. Mm -hmm. But I want, one of my previous jobs before I came a teacher was in a register office, register of births, deaths and marriages. So I do like to think that some of those certificates um, which I wrote will in the future, going back to my primary school, of italicized handwriting, will have my handwriting on and that will be an artefact which someone might look at in 50, 60, 100 years and it'll be my handwriting on that birth, death or marriage certificate, even though some people say my handwriting is dreadful. And I just think, you know, it's what you're writing 
which is important, but sometimes people do need to be able to read what you're writing. So I think we can't throw everything out the window and say it doesn't matter, but we do need to get away from some of these sort of false sort of um, traps almost where some children have felt scared of writing. Instead of focusing on what they're writing, they're focusing on how they're writing. There's a lot of research about everything behind that, and that's what I think needs to be put in a training course. So I think any inset days for primary schools and even secondary schools does need to have a little bit about handwriting, how different children perceive it and what it means. And the last thing I say, from my personal experience, my daughter was not diagnosed as being dyspraxic until she was had left school. And she had obviously developed coping strategies. Handwriting wasn't the major thing because there's lots of other issues with dyspraxia. And it was when um, she was later on studying that her handwriting was highlighted as an issue in terms of her essays at university. Mm -hmm. And um, it was very interesting to see then that she actually did get diagnosed and it all kind of fell into place. And I remember her handwriting at one school in early years and her earlier school was fine. But when she went to a different school, I won't say what particular type of school, it was kind of like her handwriting. We, we, we think she's got real issues with her handwriting, but she was brilliant at everything else. It's like, well, what are you going to do about it? And it got left. And me as a teacher, I felt terrible because I didn't really pick up on any other clues. But some of these things do come out much later, I found out, having researched myself, some of these special needs you don't find out till later. And it's just an example. Well, for those children who haven't got the coping strategies, who haven't necessarily got the ability to access the curriculum anyway um how do they fare and i feel very strongly that handwriting in england i don't know about other countries britain we need to get off this high horse of making it a big um snobbery thing and that it's you know we punish children who aren't writing in a particular schemes way the particular loop because i've seen beautiful handwriting from children who've been perhaps brought up in a different culture with different styles of handwriting it's beautiful i can read it so what if it doesn't follow that particular scheme your school happens to have bought into? And also, do teachers know what to give them? A hand grip for their pen or pencil. Make sure the pencils are sharp if they're using pencils. Have you thought about the scent in, in the exercise books? Are you just accepting that you're going to have 10 millimetre lines? Or have you actually said to your school, actually, I've got 10 children in my class. They're not ready for such narrow lines. You know, all these sorts of things. Oh, most definitely. And I was just thinking, actually, that um, I had a, a complete meltdown at the start of the academic year because all I could find was maths books with these teeny tiny squares. And I thought mm. I, I couldn't use that. So how mm. on earth am I expecting children to form numbers correctly in these minuscule squares? And I mm. you know, frantically went to my deputy head saying, I, I, I can't use these. Uh, they're giving me a headache. So, you know, I can't be expected to give them to nine year olds. And she, she promptly did away with them. And I do have lovely proper squared maths books that children can use. But I, again, I think there's a lot of these things that we don't consider, you know, how faint lines are on things mm. as, as well. And I've definitely had children I've taught in the past who said, I can't even see the lines in my book, miss. So how am I supposed to, to write it in a straight line? And you kind of think, oh, well, what do you mean you can't, you, you, you mm. can't see? But of course, it, it's different things. And it's, mm -hmm. it's, there's so much, and certainly in my, sort of my research for this show, so many different things to consider. Um, I mean, even the 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 pen thing only the color the color of the pen only really reoccurred to me when one of my kids who was sitting right at the front of the class said to me, "Miss that that green pen, please please don't use it because I can't I can't see what what you're writing." And I thought, oh, you know, I'm gonna have to go go and go and find another black one because the black one's mm. run out. Really sorry. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. There's so many things to consider, but it's good to have the open up the discussion about it. Um, and there are lots of good um, resources out there, but um, I haven't seen 
many um, whole school CPDs which do include it. And it's not something I have a particular passion about. I do have a passion about lots of things. I do have a passion about this as many others. But it's like really interesting to talk about it. And yeah, there are so many factors to consider. No, brilliant. I mean, Catherine, it has been an absolute pleasure to, to have you. And we've covered so, so much in a, in a very short space of time. So I really do appreciate you coming on and, and chatting to me about handwriting. And it definitely flies in the face of uh, the people who said to me, you're going to have absolutely nothing to talk about on this subject. So I think we've uh, definitely proven a point this evening, if nothing else. Mm, thank you. OK, thank you very so much. Thank you so much. And hopefully speak to you soon on, our, on another topic. We'd love to have you back anytime. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Bye, Catherine. So that was Catherine there adding her thoughts to the discussion on handwriting this evening. And as I said, I mean, the, those who, who spoke to me earlier in the week and said, oh, handwriting's an, an interesting one, Lucy. Why, why on earth would you, would you want to talk about and who are you going to get to talk about that? And I think uh, that this show has well and truly shown that it is a topic for discussion, that it's something that I think a lot of people, um, not just children, a lot of adults are, are very shy about still. And it's almost... Uh, I don't want to say a, sh a subject of shame, but certainly a subject that maybe we we don't discuss enough. And it's it's certainly given me, as all my conversations do, it's given me enormous food for thought in terms of how I approach handwriting, not only as myself as a teacher and the, the way that I'm writing on the board and things like that, but also how I address it with, with children. And I definitely, I had a sort of heart-wrenching moment earlier when I remembered I've definitely written very early on in my career, written in children's books, things like, please watch your handwriting. And looking back on that now, I think, oh my gosh, you know, of, of all the comments to put on a child's work, of all the things you could have picked out, why on earth would you write that? But I mean, I think, again, these things come with experience and, and the idea of, of writing forming part of teacher training is absolutely crucial both again from that teacher's point of view and from how we deliver it to children how we get them to build their confidence with it and how as as Catherine as both both Catherine and Kate said you know how we address it as something that's not a form of punishment that's not a kind of single way to do it that actually you know you can write legibly without these loop-de-loops and all the rest of it so I think that if nothing else, I've definitely taken comfort from this evening's conversations. And I think that there's there's a lot to be said for, for handwriting going forward. Um, now, there is so much information that has been shared. I know that Kate's been busy posting away in, in the chat and she's definitely sent me some bits and pieces on Twitter. So I will be posting show notes gradually over the course. Of, if I don't post them tonight, I will post them tomorrow. I also appreciate that I forgot to ask both guests what they're having for dinner. So that was shame on me. <laughs> so uh, Catherine if you're still in the studio please do let me know what you are what you are eating this evening as I'd, I'd love to know uh, if you're willing to share um so yeah fantastic what a what a great show and another one already nearly over it's it's they go so fast time flies when you're when you're having fun um after me I'm pleased to say that Libby will be back uh with her show and she is talking to Ben Walsh this evening about all things history related. Now, um, I don't know if it's, um, if it's a thing, but there seem to be a lot of history teachers uh, in amongst our Teachers Talk Radio hosts. I don't know whether there's a, 
a conspiracy there or not, I'll, I'll have to find out. But uh, there are a lot of them in the mix. Um, and there are also um, some actual just history appreciators like myself. I'm a, certainly a great fan of the Tudor period in history. So listening to, to, to Libby and to Ben having that discussion after I'm done this evening will be very, very interesting. Next week, I'm going to be talking about something that's come up in discussion amongst my colleagues recently and that uh, I've definitely used in the past and again is something that I'm sure will be will spark a lot of discussion on Twitter and that is the use of behaviour charts in the classroom. I would like to know your thoughts on that. So uh, that is going to be my discussion for next week. So if you'd like to share your experiences of using things like the traffic light system or having, I mean, I know that certainly early years teachers and year one teachers that um, that I know of certainly use almost like a, a cloud, a rainbow and a sun and have used that to, to manage the behaviour in their classrooms. So I think it's uh, it'll be an interesting chat to have in a week's time. Other than that, all that remains for me to say is thank you so much for having me again this evening, Teachers Talk Radio. It's an absolute joy, as always, to be a part of this and to, to get to share discussions and chats and free CPD, as we like to call it. So, you know, please do continue listening. Please do seek out the other shows as well, because they are well worth a listen. And um, I will speak to you all in a week's time. This is Teachers Talk Radio. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.